Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show. Today, we have a very special guest because we have Alex Bazell in on the show. My brother, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. So I, I have to ask, what, what gets you the most excited right now? Like every day when you get up in the morning, what is that specific thing that you're like, yeah, I'm looking forward to that over everything else? Well, you know, with what I do, what I, what I love about what I do is, is probably there's constant change. There's always a different angle of what we're trying to accomplish. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't have the typical nine to five job where I know exactly where I'm heading, who I'm going to see, who I'm going to talk to, what I need to accomplish. Um, that's what excites me. I think the, the variations of what needs to get done changes day to day, but the end goal for me is very simple. It's how can we relay the best information to the masses in terms of basketball and training and development. Um, so we have that like macro goal, but all of the, the little parts are, are constantly changing. Mm. So how, how did, uh, at what point, was there like a moment where you realized that you were going to go down the training route as opposed to whether it be like the, like for me, I was a player until uh, sophomore year of high school. <laughs> that was my peak point. And then I was like, all right, I didn't make my sophomore team. I'm going to go into broadcasting um, because that was the next best thing. But what was that sort of moment for you? And where did you find your passion on the training side? You know, it's crazy. I had always planned, um, my ultimate goal was to play professionally overseas. Like every kid I wanted to play in the NBA, but probably in like freshman year of high school, I, I realized that dream probably wasn't going to come true. Um, but I refocused my goal of, I wanted to still play professionally and go experience different parts of the world, um, which I was able to do uh, in Germany. And I always had a goal after that or not a goal, but I just kind of had my life pattern set where I was going to go do mortgages. My family has a mortgage business in St. Louis. Um, my parents built back in the early nineties. And that was always my plan. All my siblings work there. I have three older siblings that work for my parents. That was just kind of how my life was going to go. And, um, I was excited about it because sales it's competition, but once I got, done playing, I didn't even know I was finished playing, um, training started becoming really big, probably right around the time I decided to get into it. Um, you know, like even when I was in high school, we didn't necessarily have personal trainers or people we went to, like my dad was my coach and I went and watched TV and then tried to copy Steve Nash, Darren Williams, Kobe Bryant moves on the driveway. That was training. So, you know, fast forward to 2013, I was playing overseas. I, I started to do a little bit more in college of just individual training to make 20 bucks to pay for a case of beer on the weekend for me. Um, and then, you know, I, I came home from Germany and I started doing local group training and we had like 35 kids that were training for a couple months at a time. And then two months later, it went all the way up to like 80 kids that wanted to train. So I was like, well, shit, I'm making great money doing this. And maybe I can, you know, people seem to enjoy the way I, I teach or train or help with whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. So I was like, well, maybe I can do this at a higher level. Maybe I can try to do this at the professional level because, you know, I'd always planned to play overseas for four or five, six years to just get to see different parts of the world. But 
that quickly changed when I thought, okay, if I can start this now, I can probably try to get to the top a little bit quicker rather than wait to when I'm 30 years old and then try to get into the NBA training world. So um, I think I made the right choice, um, but it was a decision that I had to make. Totally. It, and it's funny, like, and I've never contextualized it like, like that in regards to being able to get to the top quicker in the training game as opposed to the basketball game. But when you think about like how many all-stars there are in the NBA, and then you look at like the trainers, there aren't that many that, yeah. you know, I can name that you can name, um, you know, uh, so you're definitely, you know, an all first team trainer <laughs> in <laughs> comparison. Hypothetical <laughs> list means a lot. Yeah, yeah, sure, I'm sure. Uh, it would be better if you got the same bonus that, you know, came with being an NBA player. Um, so how, obviously, you go from being overseas to uh, chasing the, um, you know, training championship. And then um, at, at what point did you sort of did uh, through the lens, because I, I want to touch on that. At what point did that sort of begin to maturate, whether it was in front of you or whether somebody brought it to you? How did that uh, sort of come to be? So, you know, I was, I've been so blessed to be around just the top minds in basketball on both the men's and women's side. You know, like Kobe became a mentor of mine back in 2000, end of 2017. Um, and I spent, you know, couple of days a week down in Newport with him and learning and uh, working with his girls. So that meant a lot to me. Um, you know, I started working with Carmelo when he was out of the league. Uh, I started working with Kyrie uh, about two years ago now, full time. Uh, been with Trey since high school. And then on the women's side, you know, my fiance plays in the WNBA and she is an all-star work with Candace Parker the last couple of years. So needless to say, I've been so lucky to be around these people and these minds. And I didn't feel like I was privileged to be at a point where not everyone gets this kind of access. I felt like everyone deserves that kind of knowledge and access. I, I happen to be in the right situations throughout the course of my career to be in those rooms. But I wanted to create something that gave everyone that level of access because, you know, there's a lot of people like you or I that love the game and just want to learn and have the best chance to reach whatever success looks like. So <clears throat> really once COVID hit, um, it gave me a reason to sit down and really say, okay, how can we move this thing forward? And obviously when Kobe passed last year, um, it gave me a chance to, also figure out how I could continue to move his mission forward in terms of the women's side of the game. So, you know, that's when Carmelo and I had a conversation about building through the lens. And, you know, from then on, it, it just came, it came down to who are the people that share the vision that we do, that share some of the passion that we do of growing, not just the men's game, but the women's game. That was priority number one. And then priority number two is, how can we turn this into a real business that benefits not only the masses, but we can create something internally that will continue to evolve over time. So, um, you know, fast forward to where we are now, you know, we've been very blessed to have a ton of people come on under our umbrella, you know, from Kerry Champion to Shams Charania to Trey to Candice to Nafisa to Mello. And, you know, we have about four or five others in the pipeline here where we're getting ready to sign that we're excited about. But, um, it, it just comes down to share, sharing knowledge. And that was the number, th number one thing that I've learned over my, uh, over my journey the last 
you know, three or four years specifically. So to be able to try to create that for the masses was something that was important. Yeah, I mean, knowledge is definitely key, especially when it comes to those top guys. And I like that you have, um, you know, height and skill set diversity amidst those uh players that that you mentioned because you know not everybody you know can be seven feet tall you know one out of every seven seven footers is in the nba or something crazy like that um but a lot of people do look like trey young you know and they can learn you know steph curry definitely put the game in that trajectory and trey is only taking that to new heights right in terms of taking the game back and, and shooting more and being a flashy shooter as opposed to, <clears throat> you know, a dunker, <laughs> you know, which some of us can, some of us can't. But um, I, I do want to touch on some of those people that you mentioned and maybe some of the things that you learned from them, because I, I look at it sort of the same way. I look at podcasts the same way as you look at um, training and information. You just want to, you just want to give it to other people because you want everybody to reach their potential in, in whatever way possible. And hopefully that fits within your business structure, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I'd love to hear sort of from your experience with um, Kobe and, and the Mamba Academy, what, what were some of the biggest takeaways from, you know, spending time with him that maybe you didn't know prior? Because for somebody like that, obviously a lot of it is public. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing that I learned um, in terms of just his teaching style and the way he went about player development was simplicity. You know, like he wasn't, he wasn't one to go juggle four tennis balls at a time while trying to shoot a layup or hop over different obstacles on the course. Like he just came down to where are the spots that you're getting the ball in? How can you maximize your efficiency in those spots? And it comes down to making or missing, you know? So he always put a huge premium on finishing the shot. And a lot of players, they go through these drills or they go through footwork and they're really concentrated on that part. And then they don't concentrate on the most important part, which is actually making the shot or finishing it. So that was, that was just, he was so simple about how he went about everything. And his definition was, it was very easy for people to follow along with. Like sometimes we try to make the game a little bit more complex than it is. And we see all these crazy moves that are highlights that are posted. And then we try to take that and go give it to kids and be like, okay, copy this move from Donovan Mitchell. And it's just probably not realistic. Um, So that was probably the number one thing in terms of just, you know, strictly player development. And then on just the other side is, you know, he, he was so um, generous with, his time and attention of who we gave anyone time or attention to. It didn't have to be, you know, Kyrie Irving. It, it could have been someone that was just walking by that wanted a picture. Like he made everyone feel that their time was valuable and just the generosity he showed myself and my fiance and, you know, all the girls I got to witness that he coached and really poured time into people didn't get to see that side of him. Um, you know, he was an unbelievable person more than anything. So I think that's really what the world is is missing is more people like that that are at the top that can really influence, you know, the masses, I think is important. A hundred percent. No, I love that about, um, you know, teaching teaching the girls specific, specifically, um, you know, how to 
be as efficient as possible in those specific situations. Um, because I do see on, on social media a lot, you know, I mean, you know, people make jokes about it, but when you got like the foam fingers and all this stuff, <laughs> I mean, do you laugh at that stuff too when you see it? You know what? I, I've gone through like an evolution of my feeling towards trainers or um, how they go about what they go about everyone to each his own, you know, like everyone finds ways to that they think is best for players. The number one thing is if you're on the court, you're going to improve. Like, I don't care what the hell you're doing. You're going to improve. <laughs> right, right, right. For me though, it's about how do we maximize that time? Some of the time I don't think is being spent the, the correct way, but honestly, I've seen it from players that are at the top. I've seen, you know, like, for instance, Kyrie's biggest thing when it comes to player development is playing and like playing one-on-one -on -one and trying different things out. And he's probably the most creative skilled player we may have ever seen. And then, really? you, and then you get someone like Kobe, who's very meticulous within the footwork. So they have different viewpoints, but they obviously have both succeeded with their past. So I think the biggest thing that we probably need to have a discussion about from when it comes to player development is everyone learns differently. Everyone's minds work differently. So this cookie cutter approach of this is the way training is or has to be, I don't think that's right either. So it's, it's just an ongoing conversation. As long as we can do what we feel is best for that individual athlete, then that's, that's really all you can do. And that's an interesting point too, because I think that concept is also applicable to education at large about any subject, right? Like you're not going to learn the same way I am. I'm not going to learn the same way as, you know, any other friend, you know, it's just, but oftentimes you can be put into a box, which is what would happen at a basketball training camp um, for like lots of kids, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Cause like you said, getting on the court is 80% of the battle, right? But um, but I think that same thing applies across the board. So it's good that, you know, we can push sort of the importance of being cognizant of the fact that everybody learns differently because that's... And, and I think also, you know, I, I try to put a premium on um, creativity and imagination. And if you can start imagining defenses or imagining how a defense will play you or being creative, if you make a move and all of a sudden, you know, your coach told you, okay, we're going to make this move and go into a one dribble pull up. Like if I were to tell Kyrie that the amount of times he would actually do what I told him would probably be 10%. The other times he might throw a wrinkle in there and fake it or pick it up and finish with his left. And it's like, that's just a level of creativity and you just have to have it, you know, like you have to be able to react. It's a reactive sport. So just building up that within your mind is, is just as important as actually building a skill set. When you look at the game at, at particularly the NBA level, right? How much of it do you think is, um, you know, specific, uh, you know, play, move, practice work? How much of it do you think is mental? And then how much do you think is, is sort of that luck and, and physical aspect that's right in the game? You don't need to put a percentage on it. I'd just love yeah. to hear what you think about it. Well, I think there's multiple ways to skin the cat. Um, I think the most, the easiest way is if you come out of the gates and you're six, eight with the 40 inch vertical and a wingspan and you have must, a much, must better, be nice. yeah, <laughs> much better chance. Um, but I would tell you that, I think the biggest separator is probably mindset. And 
there are a lot of players that may have Trey Young's gifts in terms of his quickness or um, even shooting. There's a lot of people that can shoot, but I think his mentality of working hard and having confidence in that work that separates them. You know, there's a lot of players that I've seen even in workouts that they don't ever miss shots. Like they never miss shots, but they get into games and they can't hit a shot. So the, the biggest thing is probably just a confidence and belief for yourself. And I think that's the biggest difference from an all-star to, you know, maybe a, just a role player. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. When you look at the landscape of the league, who are some guys maybe that you worked with or you haven't that you're just like, man, fans don't know how good this dude is. Oh man, you put me on the spot with that one. That's a good question. I think there's so many, I think Donovan Mitchell's probably the most underappreciated guy right now. I hear um, that a lot with what he's doing. And, um, you know, I, I think Shaq kind of put the microscope on him a little bit with his comments of <laughs> he's got a and it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm 23 years old, but, um, <laughs> You know, guys on a like super that. max deal or whatever the hell he's on. Yeah. Another <laughs> another name, and I've never worked with him before. There, I'll give you two names, and one of which is Malik Beasley. What he's doing is, I've I've always thought he was a great player back in Denver. Um, he's being able to showcase that a little bit more in many. And the other player is Norman Powell. Like Norman Powell's putting up big stats for Toronto, but he's you know the big names on that team are Lowry, Siakam, and Van Fleet. So. Those are like super under the radar guys that I would love to have on my team that I think, you know, as time moves on, they'll get more and more recognition. But, um, you know, all-star wise, it's, there's so many good young players that you can choose from. It's, it's kind of hard. I mean, the league's crazy talented right now. Um, for somebody who is just getting started uh, in basketball, but they might not have, um, you know, whether it be court access or, um, ability to, to, you know, plan a team record or whatever. What are some of the best things that you can do training wise for yourself um, in terms of conditioning specific for basketball that you would recommend, like whether it be weights or whether it be running, what do you think is, is the best way to maximize your off court time? Um, I think the hardest thing is getting someone to want to do those things. And it's like, I, as a person that loved basketball, like you couldn't probably give me enough time on the court for me to be sick of it. I felt the opposite way when it came to conditioning. I hated it. I hated the feeling of just running to run. Um, but, you know, if you don't have access to playing, it's, it's more so not just getting out and running three miles because that's a total different type of conditioning that you need to do. It's, it's the sprinting, the stop, start. Um, getting on a treadmill, sprinting for 30 seconds, off for 20 seconds, sprint for another 20, like mixing up your sprint intervals is probably important. Um, and then in terms of just gym, like if you're going hard, you're going to be getting in shape. So even if you don't have access to a gym or a court or a basket, I used to always work out in um, like when it was too cold to really go outside in the Midwest, I would work out in my garage and I would just put like a trash can there and make moves around it and go full speed. And I would do that for like hours at a time. So 
I think there's always an excuse of why you can't do something, right? Especially now with COVID. It's like, well, I can't go to the gym. I, like everything's shut down. It's like, well, yeah, everyone has an excuse. They're always there. So the difference is, as the people that actually want to get it done, they find a way to get it done. What are some of those, those uh, you spoke about Trey Young's sort of mentality towards the game. What do you think are some of those specific qualities that these top guys share across one another in terms of how they're mentally approaching it? Um, I think two things, one of which I've already touched on confidence. Um, the, the levels of confidence are so much different from players that are successful in the league. And some of that like is unwarranted. Like Trey was Trey. You would think when he walked on the court as a rookie, he already felt like he was the best player on every single court he walked onto. That includes a court with LeBron, Giannis. It didn't matter. He really believed that. Um, so that's number one. Number two is the top players are always willing and open to learning and open to criticism. And you would think the opposite. Everyone that I work with, they would rather me critique them on film than be like, hey, this is what you're doing. Great. You know, and that's really how you learn. So I think if if any player can just learn from someone that's at the top, it's you always have to be open to that criticism and constructive criticism and always open to how can I improve? And I think that's pretty much consensus across the board with anyone that I've come across that's already made it to the top. I love that he thought that he was the best player on any court. I mean, there's no reason you shouldn't think that. Like, what right. are you going to think you're not the best? Right. The alternative sounds so ridiculous. Um, but, you know, it is still somehow shocking when you say that. I don't know why, but I love it. Yeah. But hey, he's getting closer and closer to being a real thing, you know, like if he thought uh, I'm well, I, I might be the fourth best player on the court, then his play probably would have demonstrated that. So I think that's what's been his biggest advantage so far. And it, it, it doesn't come without extreme skill set behind that as well. Right. Yeah. His, his shooting's in, insane. How much does he work? On, on specifically shooting still is it is does he subscribe to any like thousand shots a day or anything like that no I think you know when you get yourself to a certain point he doesn't really put a limit on I want to get this many shots in for the day it, it's more about he loves the game so much and he realizes how important shot making is to his game specifically that it's something he's always working on. It's something that, you know, if he goes through a shooting slump and we know maybe, okay, here's, here's probably why the reasons you're going through that slump. Here's how we can correct it. So it's, a, it's an ongoing process. And I think it's, you know, I, I don't have insight into how Steph Curry trains, but I guarantee you he's focused on shooting every single day, just as much as anything else, because that's who, that's what makes him who he is. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a never ending process. I love that. Um, and then one thing that I definitely see a similarity across anybody, not basketball aside, sports, uh, in general, um, is that the only people that are actually going to be successful and that you end up seeing at the top level are those who are incredibly passionate. Um, because if you're not passionate, then you're not going to want to put in those extra hours that end up differentiating you from everybody else. Right. And so yep. Um, obviously that's true for everybody at the NBA level that nobody could have made it you know, unless they're a seven footer um, without, you know, the passion for the game. 
um, like an unrelenting passion. Is, is that something that you definitely see uh, across uh, everybody as well? No. Um, no? No. I, I think there's a lot of players that, not a lot, but there's definitely some players that I've come across that have made the NBA strictly by God decided that they had the tools to make the NBA. <laughs> they didn't work for it. They have no reason to want to work for it. And I think those are some of the players that you see fizzle out pretty quickly. I think your point comes to sticking around the league for a long time, not necessarily making it, you know, like, because you can get lucky with anything and, and you can get an opportunity because the, pre the media hypes you up and you have all these stats in high school and you showcase one year of mediocrity at Kentucky, but you went to Kentucky, so you'll be a first round pick. And then after that, it's like, okay, the, the, the people that really work for it are the ones that you see consistently improve. And it's pretty easy to see who's not working. And those are the players that usually go the opposite way. Um, so yeah, it, it's the whole like, oh, if you want to make it, you have to have this undying love and passion for the game. It sounds good. I wish it was true. Um, but it's just honestly not the case for some of the, the people that make it there. But, you know, needless to say, they're out of it as, as quickly as they're in the league. So is what it is. No, I, I love that. And I, I appreciate your honesty there. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you're, you're, you'll go in the direction of your passion. So if like if they get if somebody gets to the league, right, and then they have money, which is dangerous in and itself. Um, and then, you know, pre-COVID, like you're interested in going out or things like that, yeah. that's where your passion's going to be and that's where your skills are going to go. Right. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, like NBA, like NBA players, it's, it really comes down to, like you said, does it interest you to really want to put in that amount of time to improve? You know, some people, and it's not, it's not a, a bad thing, but some people are just, they're content that they made it. They're content that, you know, they, their lives have been changed financially and they're good with that part of it being where it is. And, you know, it could, it's just not their passion, but they made it. Um, so I, I don't think it's like a necessarily a bad thing, but when you talk about the people that are end up being remembered and talked about consistently, those are the ones that are probably love the game more than most. So when you look at, like, if you had to, um, you know, sort of predict how players are going to Im improve over time and you had to, like, sort of sort the winners out from the losers on your end, what would some of those, you know, KPIs, like the key performance indicators that you would look at, um, what would those be if you, if you could have all the information in the world? Um, I mean, if I could see what they do on the offseason, that that's going to tell you everything you need to know where their priority list is. And that's a conversation I have all the time with players that come to me during the summers is okay. If your priority is to improve, then let's really make that priority. I don't, I don't want to get a text at 8 AM because you stayed up till 4 AM with a group of people in LA and you don't feel like working out in the morning. Cause that, you know, one text from like, like that is really all I need to know to where your priorities lie. So that's the biggest indicator. If I knew, like if I were a GM and I could really follow someone around for a week without them knowing, that's that would probably be the ultimate decider if I drafted them or if I didn't draft them. Hmm. That's interesting. I feel like GMs don't work with trainers that much hand in hand, right? Or do well, they? 
I mean, they could, but the trainers are always going to lie to them. Like, you know, same with, like, I don't really care who you are if, unless you have a great relationship with someone, if you don't know someone and they're working with that person that you're trying to get information from, they're going to give you the best information of what services their client, not That's what services the team. Um, so, you know, it, it's just like a, it's a lose lose unless you have someone really that knows, then you're kind of just guessing anyways. Cause when you get these players in an interview, they're like, yeah, I love playing. I want to improve. I want to earn whatever it is. And that's just, <laughs> that's just the bullshit that kind of goes on. <laughs> right. Um, back, back to through the lens, what do you hope um, the takeaway is and who, who are sort of some of the people that you think could benefit the most? Um, I think, you know, to your point, you decided your sophomore year, you wanted to get into journalism. And I, I want to give anyone that loves being around basketball and sports an avenue to reach their, their goals and their potential. Um, so that's the number one thing I, I want to have something for everyone. I don't care if you're a, a trainer, a player, a coach, someone that wants to get in the profession. Um, we want to have information available to everyone to give them the best chances to succeed. Um, so that's probably the, the number one priority of why we built this and what are, we want the legacy of the company to be. Amazing. Now, where, where can people find it if they want to go check it out? They can go to throughthelens.com. So we have oh. new stuff coming out. Carrie Champion releases this week, which we're really excited about. She's our per first professional. And then we have Shams coming out uh, early next month. So, um, you know, besides that, Carmelo, Trey, Nafisa, Candace Parker, they're already on the website available for purchase. And we're going to be adding much, much more. What are the professional ones going to look like? What are those more, more geared towards? So they're, they're mainly just geared towards if you want to become a journalist or if you want to become like a TV host, like here's the steps that they took to make that happen. Here's some of the things that they thought they did right. And here's some of the things they probably would do differently if they knew better. Um, so it's, it's more so just relaying the, the correct information that puts you in a position to succeed if you want to ultimately become, you know, the, a a sports center host or sit on the desk at first take, like that's something that you can learn from Carrie champion of kind of how she made that happen. I love that. I love that. Well, everybody definitely check it out through the lens.com. Alex, thank you so much for doing this. This was a blast. I appreciate you, bro. Awesome. All right. Peace everybody. Cool.